this morning said amen amen well how many are you excited about uh hearing the word today i'm just not convinced about that how many are you excited to hear from the word today we've been in a series uh spiritual warfare and uh that god has given us the ability to stand firm though we may face spiritual warfare that we have an adversary that old serpent called the devil that he's wanting to you know, uh, he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. That that roaring lion that's going about seeking whom he may devour. you got to give him permission. Jesus defeated him on the cross. And he has no power in your life unless you give it to him. Can you say amen? So you got to do spiritual warfare. Stand firm. Things get tough. You know, uh, we read out of Ephesians 6, you know, having done all to stand, stand therefore. When you feel like you can't stand, that you're in the best place that you could possibly be. Why? Because when you're weak, that's when God is strong. If you'll recognize that, even in quoting a lot of those scriptures, to realize that when we get the word of God in us and we face that difficult moment, we get in that hard place where we feel like we cannot stand, and yet the spirit of God will bring to our remembrance, I've done all I can do to stand. I don't feel like I can stand anymore, Right? Having done all to do, all you can do, stand therefore. And how do you do that? Ephesians 6 gives us, uh, if you will, the breakdown of how to arm yourself. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not going to go into that. I, I imagine Pastor Warren will hit on some of that next week when uh, he shares uh, our final message in, in our spiritual warfare series. But, but here's what I would say to you is, is that when, when God gives us a word and we apply it to our life, what happens is, is that in that moment when we feel like giving up, when we're at our weakest, that's where God can be the strongest. Why? Because we call out for help. We call out for help. When I'm at my weakest place, that's when I actually ask for help. When we get that, to that place in life and we actually come to the place where we say, God, help me. Let me tell you, there's a desperation in there. Uh, desire and that we are convinced that we can't do anything for ourselves anymore that we need intervention we need divine intervention and all of a sudden like the woman with the issue of blood you remember that story she had done all she could do she had spent everything that she could on getting an answer for her issue and she came to that point and finally it's like I, I don't know what else to do but I've heard of this person named Jesus if I can just get to him and just touch the hem of his garment, I don't even need him to give me any of his time. If I can just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. Faith, right? She touched his garment with faith. And if you remember that story, the Bible says that Jesus stopped. They were in a throng of people. That's the King James word, a throng of people. What is that? Uh, in modern vernacular, if you've ever gone to concerts, some of you are young enough to know what a mosh pit is. It's where people are so tight in there, they're knocking one another around. They're going through this throng of people. They're getting tossed, hit, knocked around. And, and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, is he kidding right now? Who touched him? I mean, everybody's touching us when we're walking through this crowd. No, no, not who touched me physically. Who touched me spiritually? Who touched me with faith? And that woman reached out and touched his garment with faith. And this is what the Bible says. For Jesus, he 
felt the vir- he sensed the virtue leave. He felt the anointing leave him and go into somebody else. Faith drew that anointing out of him. Virtue, anointing, power, and it flowed into her body, and she was made whole in that very moment. And he stops and says, "Who touched me?" And the disciples, of course, being in that debate around that statement, the woman stopped and said, it was I, Lord. He'd never seen faith like that. He said the same thing about the centurion. Now, one of the things that we've seen in our society, most of us have seen the, um, where we call it the name it, claim it, frame it crowd. You know, that faith is, is that if I, if I it's kind of like if I go in my garage and, you know, Angie's got a, uh, a Jeep Cherokee, um, and I, and I go in my garage and I look at that Jeep Cherokee and I start going, uh, you are a Jeep Wrangler Rubicon. And I say it over and over and over that that Cherokee is all of a sudden going to transform into a Rubicon. But can I say it's never going to happen? That's not going to happen. We're not talking about faith in faith. We are talking about faith in the living God in our life. And he cares about our needs. Let me say this. He cares about our needs. He doesn't care about our greed. God cares about our needs. He doesn't care about our greed. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want you blessed, but he wants you blessed for kingdom purpose, not for selfish gain. Amen? And see, when we get things mixed up like that, what ends up happening is is that we start going into life and, and we're shocked at the warfare that comes our way And that we start to get defeated by, if you will, the things of this world. The cares of this world come, right? They start to choke out the word of God in our life. And, well, you know what? Uh, Like the the church in in, uh, uh, Revelation. You say you're rich and increased and have need of nothing, yet you're naked, blind, wretched, and poor. I submit to you that the church in America, we're not a post-Christian society because we have been a a church that has followed after Christ. I'm not referring to just, I'm talking about the church. Is everybody with me? I don't like the fact that we're a post-Christian society. I don't like the track that we're on as, as a nation. But we're there because we get in this mindset, the same as the Israelites would get in that mindset, God would bless them and then they would forget the Lord. And what would happen is, is then his blessing would start to be lifted and calamity would come, you know, you read story after story where they're being blessed, the next thing you know, they're in bondage, and they're being blessed, and the next thing, they repent, they come back to the Lord, right? They're in spiritual warfare. Their hearts get consumed by stuff, idolatry. Now, who's got a car in here? Give me an amen if you've got a car. Who's got a house? Give me an amen if you've got a house. God wants you to have those things. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's fine. But is that what makes your life secure? Is our stuff, is the, is the things that we have what makes our life secure? I submit to you in our nation right now, it's just all about what you can get. That's how we're in such debt as a nation is just keep raising the debt ceiling and raising. Y'all understand that the Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender. Who are we borrowing that money from as a nation? And make no mistake about it, it's like, well, pastor, you got to understand, like, that's not my debt. Oh, yeah, if you don't understand how it works in a nation, it's your debt. 
If the nation was to default on that debt, what do you think happens to your life? Why do we see such inflation right now? Okay, y'all with me? <laughs> Let me give you that, that term, the old, the old uh, country preacher's term. You're staring at me like a cow at a new gate. If you don't know what that means, if you throw a new gate out in the field where a bunch of cows are, never been there before, they just stare at that thing like, what is that? Our country is gripped right now, squabbling over what they can get. What's the government, you know, how's the government going to figure this out? And how's it going to make sure that I'm not paying too, many, too much tax and, 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 and the inflation isn't going to be? Let me tell you how that works. Return to the Lord. It's that simple. It's like, well, it's not that simple, you know, or, you know, surely those guys up there, they're pretty smart. They figure that out. Maybe what you'll figure out is, is that sometimes you get leadership that uh, really would like you to be in slavery. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about? We are in spiritual warfare. It is manifesting in the physical. We're seeing the results of it. It's creeped into the church for years. And it's high time that the church rise to the occasion of spiritual warfare. Let me tell you where you start. With you. It's like, well, everybody else is doing it. Can I? You know, I want to keep up with the Joneses. Come on. Can I, do I have anybody in here that's ever strived to keep up with the Joneses, right? Our nation is in this constant drive to keep up with what everybody else, that comparison, if you will. And it's horrible. It's a horrible mindset because the Bible says that they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Live your life. Live it for God with everything that you've got. Love your spouse with everything you've got. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands. What's that, that referencing? Come under him and, and he needs the Lord over you. Know what that's referencing. Come under his covering. Love and respect him. And husbands, don't walk on them. But love your wives and cherish them just as Christ did the church. That he laid his life down for her, for us, the church, his bride. I might just get to preaching today, folks. I see social media and the news, and that's not what I spend all my time in, but, you know, current events and being aware of what's going on around us, right? There is an importance to it, but it's not as important as being current with the Word of God and what the Spirit is speaking to the church. And I believe that, man, we are getting closer and closer to the return of the Lord. You see, some, it's kind of like I said in the first week that the devil doesn't even hide anymore. It's just straight out in the open. If, if, if you believe what the Word of God says about morality, in, in our nation now, you know, you, you literally are a um, homophobe or you come under some kind of name that basically titles you as being the one that's in the wrong that you would call for those around you to honor God with their life in, in every respect. But it's not unlike what the word said, that in the latter days what will happen is, is men will call good evil and evil good. Do we not see that going on all around us right now? 
You see an alignment throughout the nations right now. Things are shifting all around us. The first week I talked a bit about that. It's shifting everywhere. And know that things don't shift in the earth until they've shifted in the heavens. In other words, have you ever woke up and you just thought, man, God, this really has got to have caught you off guard. I know you're surprised by all this. I read the Bible. I'm in this place where God's not surprised with anything. He kind of knows exactly where it's going. Now, it doesn't have to go that way. It's up to us whether or not we will follow the Lord, right? A nation that turns to the Lord, right, repents, experiences the blessing of God, experiences the covering and the protection of God. And let me say where that begins, at the house of the Lord. Judgment begins at my house, says the Lord. It starts in the house of the Lord. The building, us. Individually, how important is the word of God to you? Is, is, it, is it as important as breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Is it as important as sleep? Because when I look at what Jesus said about the word, word is that he is the living bread. That we feed upon God's word and what it does is it, it sustains us and it, 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 if you will, it's sustenance to our spiritual man. It restores us. Anybody ever go without a meal for quite some time and you sit down to have a meal and you're just like, oh my. And it could be, you know, it's like steak would be really good, but if you're really, really hungry, you know, have you ever eaten something when you weren't that hungry and then when you were hungry and you're kind of like, man, the last time I ate this, man, it wasn't that good. This is amazing. Part of that has to do with the level of your hunger. How hungry are you? What's your appetite, right? It's the same with the Word of God. When you get into the Word of God and you begin to feed on it, it'll start to bring you to life in, in the same way that setting down to a meal after you've gone and maybe run five miles or you, you've gone hunting and you've hiked all through the woods, you know? Isn't that right, Nick? Moms, you're running around your kids all day and you're kind of like, haven't had time to get anything for yourself because you're taking care of your kids and and all of a sudden you get a moment to yourself and you sit down to eat something you're like oh this is so amazing you know it's the same for us how hungry are we for God's word how hungry are we for a move of God's spirit first and foremost in our own lives in our church in our city in our nation that has everything to do with God showing up and doing something amazing. Because when he's forgotten, he hasn't forgotten us. But he waits on us to remember him. Amen? He waits on us to turn back to him. Funny thing is, like, man, how far do I need to go to find God? He's right with you. He's omnipresent. He's always with you. The reality is, is he can be right next to you, but you're away from him in mind and heart, and what happens is, is all it is is a turning of your mind and heart towards the Lord. It's like, oh, there you are. He was there the whole time, just waiting on you to recognize him. And you've, I know most of this congregation has heard me refer to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, one of my favorite uh, passages to use for taking communion, and that they're walking along, and they don't recognize Jesus, and he's joining himself with them and talking about the scriptures, and they don't recognize him. And he just simply 
he's invited into their home. He goes into their home. He takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. And by the simple order of breaking bread, they knew who he was. Their eyes was open to who he was. Just breaking bread. I want to challenge you. And if you want to win at the battles the enemy brings your way, break bread with Jesus. Sit down and break open the word of it, the living bread, and begin to partake of it. Know this. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became uh, flesh and dwelt among men. If that's, if that's true, then every time you open the Bible, what you're doing is you're partaking of the living bread. The word of God is living. It's powerful. Every time you feed upon it, it will transform your life in the way that you need spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and then physically. I submit that to you because you cannot do spiritual warfare. You cannot fight your enemy without that close personal interaction with Christ. And the word of God is the beginning of that. The spirit, pursuing the Holy Spirit, asking the Holy Spirit to come and to enlighten you, to open your eyes to what the word is actually speaking. You know, the logos and the rhema, right? It's the living word, but then the spoken word. That it's living when you're reading it, but yet all of a sudden the spirit speaks. And the spirit, the Bible says the spirit and the word agree. So I challenge you. I know that now it's Bible apps, right? You know, how many of you actually read a physical Bible? Raise your hands if you still. How many of you use your phone? Raise your hands. I don't care how you do it. I will tell you this, though. Get a physical Bible and your app. And at times, sit down with just your Bible with a pen or a highlighter or something and sit and just read. Write notes around what you feel like it's saying to you. Before you know it, what will happen is, is that you find that you're able to recall and remember what the Word of God says. Why? Because you're actually meditating on it. Not just reading it, but meditating on it. You'll find yourself uh, going to bed at night, lay your head on your pillow, and then the Holy Spirit begins to whisper concerning something you read two weeks prior. It begins to speak to you that word that you were reading that's in your, in your knower and then in your knower, Right? As a man thinks in his heart, the Bible says, so is he. How do you think in your heart? Do you put yourself down? Do you struggle to believe that God can do great things for you? You deal with self-condemnation? Let me tell you the number one. Hold your hand up. Just hold your hand up in the air. Let me say, may heaven give you the key to unlock your prison door. Because Christ came to unlock prison doors. And if you believe in him, the key to that is this. God loves you. God loves you. So why would you stay in a prison in your life of any kind? Anxiety, fear, sickness. You can put your hands down. Don't stay in that prison in your life. Because God loves you too much. Embrace that love and let him rescue you. Let him free you. Amen? Now, I want to go into this and uh, uh, try and set Warren up for next week. But uh, we talked the first week. I touched on a little bit of that. Uh, I want to hit uh, what I talked about last week just lightly for those that weren't here. 
and a recap for those who were. I read to you uh, that it's important for us to stand firm in the midst of our spiritual warfare in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I said that we need to understand spiritual warfare. And one of the most important things to understand is is that the enemy wants to set up strongholds in our life. Here's, here's, Here's what I shared that strongholds strongholds are. A prisoner locked by deception, living life by something that is not true. Also, anything that exalts itself in our minds, pretending to be bigger or more powerful than our God. Nothing is more powerful than our God. We're the one that invites him in. Those disciples on the road to Emmaus invited him into their home. He didn't barge in. He made like he was going to go on. Jesus will never barge into your life. He's waiting for an invitation. Why? Because he was there when, in, in the beginning when you were created. Let us make man in our plural image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Elohim was there in the beginning. Before man was made. And he made us to have free will, so he's not going to usurp what he designed. There's got to be, if you will, that, that, that legal uh, permission, if you will. And so he won't usurp our will. It's an invitation that causes his power to work in our life. So invite him into your life at every occasion that you possibly can. And watch strongholds break. Jesus confronted how strongholds are built, I said. John 8, says, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and, do, uh, uh, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And I shared with you that when we receive a lie, we empower the liar. If we receive a lie, something that stands against the knowledge of God, we empower the devil. In other words, we're subjected to a spiritual war that will never win. Why? Because we're given authority to the devil over our life rather than yielding our will to God the Father who can set us free from the bondage. I said there was three realities that you needed to understand with regard to the devil. That's one, the devil is real. Number two, the devil, uh, his goal is to destroy us. And number three, the devil responds only to a higher authority. I'm not an authority over the devil, but let me tell you who is. Jesus Christ is an authority over the devil. Because he's an authority over the devil. I actually misspoke that. Uh, I'm an authority over the devil, but not in and of myself. I have authority over the devil because Christ gives me authority over him. Amen? So... First uh, John 4, 4 says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Do you believe that? Then there is no battle that you face that you can't overcome. If you embrace that and you invite God to come and set you free and empower you to live your life for him. Today, I want to focus on three spiritual weapons that help us to stand firm in our spiritual warfare. Three spiritual weapons that help us. And let me say they're all related to Jesus. 
You ready? Buckle in. Number one, the name of Jesus. First one is the name of Jesus. His name has power in it. No other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Mankind. People can't be saved any other way but through Christ Jesus. Faith in his work. Watch this. So we're going to look at four specific things. There's more, I'm sure, but I'm going to give you four specific things that you can use. The name of Jesus Christ in your life to find, uh, to become an overcomer. One, use the name of Jesus to overcome sickness. Use the name of Jesus to overcome sickness. Mark 16, 17 through 18 says this, In my name they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They, they might recover. They will recover. I, I, I'll throw this out there for you because even for myself, I'm, I'm kind of in that place sometimes where I ask myself like, When's the last time I prayed for somebody that was sick? Now, I get to do that pretty regular, being a pastor, but I'm talking about, you know, I'm in a supermarket or something, and, and somebody's sitting talking about their, their sickness or their ailments, and do I actually take that step of faith and say, hey, could I pray for you? Uh, would we all agree that's a little, ah, yeah, but you know what? What if they don't want me to, or, right? But let me say that miracles are not meant for, hey, when we go to the church building, we want miracles in there. No, miracles are meant for the marketplace. Can I get an amen on that? God wants us to go into all the world. That's what this is. This is Mark's version of go, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you to do. Lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. And this is Mark's, uh, the gospel of Mark. This is his statement in that, but what follows up well, part of that great commission is that in my name they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. There is virtue in you. When you pray and you relate to the Lord and you read his word, there is virtue in you. The Holy Spirit, the anointing of God is in you. The question is, is it touching somebody else so it can get out of you? Amen? That's the laying on a hand. So uh, the second one is use the name of Jesus to overcome defeat. Anybody in here ever felt defeated in their life before? I know I have. Maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't been there. Uh, I think all of us at one time or another has been in that place of feeling defeated. And I want you to know that the name of Jesus Christ, that, that ability, you know, I told some stories the first week, and I had some folks like, dude, I don't want that to ever happen to me. I told you some stories of confronting demons and casting out demons and stuff like that. Well, I'll tell you, you know, when Angie and I first came here and we took the church over, you remember that? Lord have mercy, folks. The church we took, when we took the church over, it had been through a number of different things, uh, what I would say is sin of leadership and stuff like that. And, and so we get in there, and it's kind of like, what is going on? Something's going on. We could sense spiritually there was something going on, but I, I would stay, and I'd be working late at the church, and all of a sudden I'd hear like voices out in the hallway, but I knew I was alone in the building. I mean, you know, that's a little unnerving when you know you're the only one there and you're hearing some chatter going on. I'd walk out in the hallway like, ain't nobody here. I'd go back in my office and I'd hear it again. Once in a while, I'd have some of the youth would be there and, and uh, we had a lot of youth that came to Christ during that season and I remember they'd be there and I would be discipling, pouring into them. And we're sitting there and all of a sudden they would hear it out in the hallway and they would kind of be like, and I'm like, yeah, I know. I don't, I don't know what it is yet. I haven't figured it out. <laughs> How many of you know if you're sitting in a situation like that, 
especially if you're a teenager, it's like, uh, yeah, it's time to go home. <laughs> and I remember uh, one specific time, um, had a guy painting the building, the interior he was painting. And he come walking down to my office. It was, it was uh, probably about 9 o'clock in the evening. I was there working, and, and he walked down there. He said, hey, uh, before you go, would you just let me know when you're going to leave because I want to go when you leave. It's okay. Is everything okay? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, yeah, just, um, I don't know. I'm like, do you see something? Yeah, but uh, I don't really want to go to a crazy home, so I don't really want to tell you what I saw. I'm like, was it like, you know, some shadow figures? He went, how did you know that? I said, well, we had youth here on a lock-in one night, and uh, when you do lock-ins, you get a little older, right? You get around that 30 your old age lock-ins, you could, you know, you could call overnighters with youth. I got to tell you, man, not wired for it much anymore. Don't staying up like that. So we had a number of leaders there, and I'm like, look, I, I got to go get at least an hour sleep. I'm going to my office. You know, if you need anything, come get me. So the other leaders with them, they're praying. We'd come back from a big youth conference, and uh, all of a sudden, I'm being shaken, and it's like, Pastor, Pastor, Pastor. I'm like, what? What's going on? And they're like. Man, we were praying, walking through the building. And uh, they said, man, it was like these three shadow figures. They're like seven foot tall walking through the building. Like, what? That was before the painter. And so when the painter came to me and that was going on, and he goes, yeah, it was like these three figures. He's like, shadows, man, they're like seven foot tall. I'm like, hey, there's something going on. There's spiritual warfare going on here. There's things going on in the spiritual realm. And it needs to be broken. So a buddy of mine, another pastor, we, uh, we talked. And I said, okay, it's an all-nighter, man. We're going to pray all night. We're going to worship all night. We're going to, you know, pray over that building. And we're going to break that, that spirit in there. And so, uh, so you know, um, that was coming. And in between that, Angie one time went over to the church to make some copies for some of the children's stuff coming up. I think is what it was, right? She goes into the copier and she's making copies. I can't remember, did you, did you hear a voice or your hair just stood up on the back of your neck? Yeah, she said she was at the copier, and it was like, boom, the hair just stood up on the back of her neck, and she felt this dark presence, and she's like, so all I know is Angie comes into the apartment we lived in, she says, hey, you, you need to go over to church and shut the lights and everything off. I'm like, well, why didn't you shut all of them off? She goes, well, I was at the copier, and like, I sensed this weird dark presence, and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm out. Now, now, that doesn't mean she doesn't have an authority in her, but for her, she's like, that stuff, no, I, we don't do that. If you're around, I'm good, but I don't want to even deal with that stuff, right? Now, again, she's taking authority over things, but you know, if you're standing there and you're all alone in a building and you feel something like that, it's like, right? Yeah, it's like I talked about the first week, you know? Uh, when I dealt with that guy that was possessed with a demon and it's like I'm going toward him and not running from him. I'm like, what are you doing? You've seen horror movies when you were a kid. You know, run the other way. Nope. The authority of Christ will cause you to charge it. So this guy and I, we stayed in the, the church all night. We prayed all night. We worshiped all night. We're going through and we're, God, just reveal to us what's going on in here. One of the things we'd found out, uh, some of the youth before we came had been playing Ouija board in the church and there's a lot of witchcraft stuff going on. Literally, they were, they were like incantations and casting spells at the church. And 
So we're behind the baptism when we find this mirror. And it's like, well, that's kind of odd where that mirror's at, da-da-da. We pull it down and on the back of it is pentagrams. And all. So if you don't know, oftentimes in witchcraft, what they'll do, they'll cast spells into a mirror. Now, I'm sharing this not to freak you out or scare you, but to say that our enemy is real. And he uses people. God uses people. And he will use people. If they yield to him, then they'll manifest darkness. If we yield to God, we manifest the light. Can you say amen? And so, needless to say, all of that going on, I remember there was a point where it just, it was like it, it just all broke. But not before I was at the apartment. You know, we had prayed and we cast those spirits out and all of that. And, you know, it's kind of like, if you will, kind of a cleansing of the building and throwing all those objects out. And, and all I knew is that began to break. But I was at the house one day and I'm, I'm asleep on the couch and I wake up to this crazy shrill voice laughing. And then just, I felt like it was pouncing on my back, bouncing me up and down. I couldn't move. I was frozen. And it was, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you. And I, and I mean, I'm like, and all I could muster out of my mouth, all of a sudden I'm like, Jesus, like that. And boom, it was gone. And after that, it was like everything broke in the church and the spiritual battle was not what it was before. There was no sightings of that kind of stuff. People didn't feel weird things around the church. I'm telling you that there are spiritual forces of darkness at work. That's what we read out of Ephesians last week and you'll hear again next week. But spiritual forces of darkness that are at work all around us. But don't be afraid of them because they are the forces of the kingdom of God, right? Light always drives out darkness. But you've got to embrace the light in your life if you want to drive the darkness back. Can you say amen? So with that, use the name of Jesus to overcome defeat. Philippians 2, 9 through 10. Therefore God elevated him. To the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. His name is above every other name. Use it in your life for spiritual warfare because it is the most powerful name to declare. Amen. Use the name of Jesus to overcome demonic forces. Mark 16 and 17, in my name they will cast out demons. You're not just going to lay hands on the sick and they recover. You'll cast demons out. Use my name or use the name of Jesus to overcome fear. Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run into him and are safe. Use the name of the Lord to overcome fear in your life, anxiety, depression, all those things that, that bind you up. Use the name of Jesus to declare to break them over your life. Run into him. Run into his name because he's a strong tower and you're safe in Jesus Christ. Amen. In closing that first one, the name of Jesus, Luke 10, 17 through 19, the 70, uh, or excuse me, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the de demons submit to us in, the, in your name. Gosh. Even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Think about that. Nothing. There's nothing that you've ever faced. 
nothing that you are facing and nothing you will ever face that the name of Jesus Christ is in a greater power then. So use the name of Jesus. Amen? The second weapon, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Declare the blood of Jesus to overcome condemnation. That's the number one thing you got to register. That, that if we're held back from feeling like we can use his name, if we're held back from feeling like we can do spiritual warfare, it's because, well, I don't know if I could, uh, you know, well, I'm not perfect and I, you know, I, I, you know, I've messed up in my life, so, you know, what kind of authority do I really have? It was never your authority, it was his authority, and he gave it to you, that's why you have it. Not because you earned it, not because you produced it, but because Jesus Christ is bestowed on you by faith in him, his power. Not yours, his, amen? Listen to what Hebrews 12, 24 says. Now, this is important. We're going to do a little bit of theology here where we got some Old Testament and New Testament. Hebrews 12, 24 to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Better things than that of Abel. Oftentimes when people, this is a New Testament scripture, they read that, it's like, well, what does that mean, the blood of Abel? To get the full measure of what Jesus is speaking, or that how Jesus' blood uh, speaking, what it does for us, we have to see Abel's blood and what it produced. In Genesis 4, 9 through 12, it shows us when Cain killed Abel that Abel's blood cried out. His blood began to cry out to God. Genesis 4, 9 through 12. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Notice that God's, uh, he's aware. He's aware that Cain has killed Abel because Abel's blood is crying out. Abel's blood is speaking to God. This means that Abel's blood was releasing testimony against Cain. Keep that registered. Here's the testimony that Abel's blood was speaking. It was asking for retribution and judgment on Cain. Based on what Abel's blood was saying, God passed a sentence on Cain. He would become a vagabond and a fugitive. On the other hand, we are told that the blood of sprinkling, or Jesus' blood, is speaking better things there in Hebrew, in Hebrews. The blood of Jesus cries for our forgiveness, our clemency, our redemption. It, it cries for our salvation. Jesus' blood is not asking to be vindicated. His blood is asking that we would be forgiven, that we would be given a future and a hope. The blood is speaking better things Notice also that the blood is speaking not just that it is spoken. It isn't just that it spoke. It speaks. It's speaking for the sins that you committed. It's speaking for the sins you may be committing. And it's speaking for your future sins. If you'll just acknowledge that Jesus' blood is speaking better things than the blood of Abel. He's not calling for your judgment. He's calling for your redemption. He's calling for you to be set free because he gave his life. 
Revelation 12, 11 says this. I'm sorry. I do get choked up to think about how much Jesus loved us. That while we were yet still sinners, that God gave his son. And I think about, you know, people I encounter that are oblivious. That Satan has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. That we're walking around all the time. And you think about, uh, you know, like one of the trends over the last decade has been like zombie movies and stuff like that. Don't stare at me. I know some of you watch them. We're walking around and we're seeing dead people all around us if they don't have Christ in their life. They have this life to live but have not experienced eternal life and the only hope they have of experiencing eternal life is to experience the name of Jesus, to experience his power. And you may be the only hope that they ever do. So do warfare. Know that God has given you the power and he's not condemning you, but he's come to save you. Revelation 12, 11, they overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. His blood at work, recognizing the power in his blood, declaring that through our own testimony of how he has worked in our life and that he can do that in the lives of others. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Number three, number three, third weapon that you have, the word of Jesus. So You have the name of Jesus, you have the blood of Jesus, and you've got the word of Jesus. Know the word of God and use it to overcome the lies of the devil. Know the word of God and use it to overcome the lies of the devil. I can think of times where I've thought this way and that way and all of a sudden be reading the Bible and it's like, I'm not thinking the right, this is how God thinks. His ways are higher than ours, his thoughts are higher than ours and we need to be in the word so that we can think the way that God thinks about situations in our life, amen? John 8, 31 through 32 says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciple. If, say if, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, that means if you stay in God's word, you are his disciples indeed. But if you abandon his word, it's hard to be a disciple if you're not following the one who, the discipler, if you will. The word of God is a teacher. Let him teach you. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. Let him teach you. Amen? It goes on, he says, uh, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You're not going to find the truth without being in the word of God. You've got to get in the word of God. Listen, the devil's greatest weapon against God's people is ignorance of God's word. His greatest weapon in our life is the ignorance of God's word, right? Didn't the Lord say, my people perish for a lack of anyone? Knowledge. You've got to get in the, the word of the Lord. Now, now, I want to show you how important the word of God is to us. Hey, let me ask you this. How many of you would put yourself on par with Jesus as far as being able to deal with the devil, to do spiritual? Man, I could do it just like Jesus did. Come on. We can if we can yield ourselves, but the reality, thats we're talking about Jesus, right? He's the one we look to, the author and the finisher of our faith. But if Jesus himself would not just, you know, um, go off of any old thought, but rather would refer to the word of God when facing the devil then how much more important is it for us to go to the word of God where it comes to battling the devil? Listen to this. This is, this is about the temptation of Christ. Matthew 4, 3 through 10. 
Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That preceding word is so important in your life. But you'll never hear that preceding word if you don't get in the word. Because the Spirit of God, the Spirit and the Word agree. And if you get in his word, you'll hear the Spirit speak to you concerning his word. Then the devil took him up into a holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up. They'll lift you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Here we go again. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again. Say again. Let me tell you, the devil doesn't give up easy. If he went after our Savior that way, how much more does he come after us? Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship, or you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. It is written. It is written. It's back to the word, back to the word, back to the word. Wait, he is the word. <laughs> yeah, but in human form, he was the example for us to know, to overcome temptation, to be able to do spiritual warfare and win. You got to go to the word. You got to declare God's word to those situations because here's, here's the reality of that. All sin is born of three things. You ready? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. So we'll go to the lust of the flesh. If thou be the son of God, turn these, you know, he's hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Feed yourself, man. Lust of the flesh, right? You take, uh, when he takes him up on the pinnacle of the temple and stow yourself because his angels lift you know, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He's not going to, he's humble. He's not going to be given to pride. Just because the word of God says that's the case, I'm not going to put God and tempt God in that. I'm going to be humble, not prideful. Right? The pride of life. And the lust of the eyes. All this is mine. All you got to do is bow and worship me and I'll give it to you. Took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. All this will be yours if you just bow and worship me. It is written. Away with you, Satan thing you can do is resist the devil the Bible says resist the devil and he will what? Jesus resisted him three times away with you devil guess what the devil had to do he had to get to stepping he couldn't hang around and then it's at that moment Jesus comes back out of the wilderness and what does he do? he goes about healing all who are oppressed and sick of the devil I want my life to be a reflection of that let me tell you, it's an everyday job to put the flesh under and to follow after the Spirit. Amen. So use, listen, saints, use the power of the name, the blood, and the word of Christ to stand firm. Amen. Stand with me if you would. As I've been preaching this message, you know, there's 
oftentimes as you preach a message, you can see certain moments you say something and you can see it kind of, I don't want to really use the word trigger. <laughs> I'm not talking about it in, in, in the, our current culture's vernacular of it in a sense, but it, it hits something in you and I can see certain responses while I'm preaching. We all have certain things that we battle. I'm going to ask you today to lift your hands to heaven. died on the cross see all even our righteous works are like filthy rags I'm, gonna, I'm just going to believe with you today I want to combine our faith in this room don't just believe for yourself believe for everybody else in here that whatever you're facing today God wants to break it he wants to change it in your life he wants to set you free so every head bowed every eye closed hand stretched to heaven right now in a receiving manner Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for all of us, all your people, God. Jesus, do a miracle. I'm going to reach now to touch you in faith to do something special in our lives, Lord, that only draws us nearer to you, Father, that causes us to glorify you. You're worthy of all of our praise, and we give that to you today. And Father, we ask that the miracle working power of Jesus Christ at his name, at his blood, and at his word, God, that you would do an amazing miracle in each of your people's life today. With the things that they're battling, God, I pray that they would rise to the occasion and they would fight back, Lord God, with the weapons that you've given them in spiritual warfare. And in God, they would see the victory. Jesus, you said that he who overcomes will I give the set at my table. So, Lord, I pray today that, Lord, there's an excitement in each and every one of us. That, Lord, you are, you are working it out. You're, Lord, you're helping us to understand and come to a place to walk in your power. Lord God, to walk in the revelation of your word. To live as Christ lived in this earth. With all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, all our soul, God, today we declare our love for you. back ready for next week because I know Warren is geared up to give you that final message.